0: Welcome to Season 2020, Episode 11, Three Tuning Forks. The team discusses the new Jack Miller. The calendar is firming. We look at team cultures and Manuel's thoughts on Rubens House. This is the Piscino Report. time for the Piscina Report, the show where we cover the latest in MotoGP news. I really shouldn't say just MotoGP news, we cover a lot in between. We've got Andra, Stu, Manuel, they're all in the house. And we're going to talk about everything that's new for MotoGP. We've got Silverstone, we've got all the Dawner news, we've got all the team culture news. We've just got news, 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 news. Stu mm-hmm. is here from beautiful Brisbane land. Welcome back to episode 11, mate. How are you? Hey! Hi,
1: team. How are we doing? Very well, I hope. Hello, everybody out there in uh, podcast land. I'm doing really well. Starting to cool down here in Bris Vegas. It was a uh, it was a chilly 19 degrees the other day. That was. Oh, I've had to actually put a in.
0: I I don't know how I'm surviving. It's terrible. I went back and listened to the Jake Dixon. Uh, interview we did where he just said like everything that we said temperature I was just like no it's forty-three here it's, it's winter yeah, and it's yeah. actually getting hotter yeah, so, I can't about. take weather reports seriously now thanks to him yeah. and it wasn't a coincidence that his <laughs> missus went we're coming out there to see you as
1: soon as possible so, yeah that's yeah. it <laughs> uh, but no it has it's been a, a massive week of MotoGP news as uh, as you alluded to there Dave news about tracks that that we're gonna have we're not gonna have all that sort of thing. Uh, one thing that's really stood out for me this week is, um, uh, well, not a uh, not so young Aussie gentleman by the name of Chad Reed. Uh let's say a decent motocross rider. Everybody knows the name Chad Reed. He's he's done is he a few related things related to chopper. Oh, well, let's hope
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, I hope not because then he'll probably come and kill me. For one <laughs> this is episode. the second episode where we have to put Chopper Reed into the show notes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but no, good old good old Chadley. He's uh, yeah, he's done a few things on the dirt. But look, let's 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 tell it how it is, he's not even worthy of being mentioned in the same breath as even the lowliest privateer, MotoGP racer, as far as pure racing skill goes. It's a completely different skill set. And, and he's clearly decided he needs a social media boost this week. He, he must be down on likes or something, I don't know. Um, he's he's decided to weigh in on the change of crew chief in the VR46 camp. And so, look, for those that haven't heard... because oh, he's highly qualified oh, in that area. Yeah, e- exactly. <laughs> he's about as so, qualified well, as I am. <laughs> Yeah, so for those who don't know, Silvano Galbacera um, was replaced for 2020 as, uh, as Vale's crew chief by uh, Davide uh, Munoz, right? So, Reid, he must be bored in lockdown, describing Silvano as useless, that's, that's inverted air comma quotes, and saying he never understood why he was there. He wasn't at Valentino's level. Um, look, what – Some people are saying that Chad's association with Yamaha Motocross and his loose acquaintance with Rossi somehow gives him the inside line on this. I'm saying it's more likely he's browsing motorsport archives and he's just noticed this story thinking he wants to remain relevant considering it's from (laughs) October 2019. Nice one, Chad. For that, he gets my
0: (laughs) face face of the week. week.
3: (laughs) But in all truth, not much has happened in the last six or so months, has it?
0: Exactly. So it's
1: and recent yelps. Sarah was useless as a crew chief, realistically. <laughs> that takes into account none of the health issues he was having. He wanted to spend more time with his family near home, doing lesser way rounds. Sure, Rossi hadn't won a championship in the last
0: six years that they was or five years that they were together. But hey, I'm sure there were a few other factors there as well. Manuel, you're you're very close to the medal on this one. Um, First of all, welcome back to the podcast with your name all over it. Um, Did you see that uh, article by uh, Chad Reed?
4: I read read about it, but I was uh, as astonished as do I just thought. That uh, which was the sense of doing this, right? And
1: uh, tell me, the first thing you thought is who's Chad Reed? Yeah. (laughs) No,
4: no, I I know very
3: well who's Chad Reed. (laughs) No, that was me.
4: It was very well with Chad Reed, but uh, it's really stupid to do a comment like this, right? Because. Does he really know what's going on? Because I think I read that he has met uh, Valentino a couple of times. And yes. from that point, he decides that he knows what is good uh. and what is bad. For Valentino, better than Valentino himself, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. And now he's saying that they're friends. They've, they've met like two or three times. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
4: they, uh, but, but Stu, I would like to, you to repeat the name of the new... Valentino's new crew If you are at the level oh, of, you oh, are at oh, the, the level of Andrew. Will immense Please,
1: please. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 I'm, you, I've got uh, David Munoz. That's what <laughs> I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, come on, t- show me, uh, show me, Manuel. How's it done?
4: You no, know, no, hey, it's this- that, not how is it done. It's how it is.
0: <laughs> do not try. Do not try. Just do. There is no try. Only do. <laughs> do. Yes.
3: Well, we, we can just compare. To help me out. Make me feel better.
4: When you edit this, you have to put together the two. Mine, my way of saying, and the other one. It's David Muñoz. Mu- Muñoz. Muñoz. I, okay.
1: I would.
0: I would never have gotten that right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's a. Uh... There's half a planet of women who just ovulated when they heard that, <laughs> <laughs> and you little there, I think, as well. <laughs> Andrew, you've—I um, can see by the I expression on your face—you've got you, No, 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 no. You've got, you, you've got you've um, got Chad Reed up on a on a small screen there. Have you? Have you been uh, checking him oh, no, out? I haven't yet. Oh, okay, I just wanted a straight right. hot or not. You, you're, right, the, you, you're the you're the you're Keep the source of truth novel. on this.
1: Yeah, well, we'll go to we'll go to Manuel and uh, give us a give us an intro and a, and a hello, Manuel, while uh, Andrew's sorting herself out. Well, not sorting himself.
3: Ah, oh, how you doing? <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a hot. He looks a bit clean cut for a motorbike rider. Oh no, okay. there he is, a bit dirty. Yeah,
0: uh, maybe we'll get into that later in the uh, team culture section. <laughs> it's good to have you back Manuel I know it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've put one of these out Uh, events got on top of us and uh, yeah obviously the lockdown has started to be uh, a little looser in Manuel's part of the world so we're going to start to see uh, the big man himself getting a little harder
4: to bolt down uh, in the coming weeks no no David my compromise with uh, our podcast is 100% there are many things that I can live in the back to be with you right <laughs> and, and, and in the last week yes a lot of things have been going on I have had a lot of chats with very interesting people with uh, Jack Miller I had one yesterday straight from Australia nice. two days before I spoke straight with the people from Michelin to got explained uh, how they are going to deal with all this situation then I think we had also Danilo Petrucci we had a uh, the Poncharal, so a lot of people I have been speaking in the in the last weeks. Yes,
0: Manuel. Out of that list, uh, who would you put at the top as the uh, the absolute uh, number one newsworthy item that needs to get out there to our listeners' ears?
4: Yeah, well, the, I think the most uh, important things are uh, the the. The list of the Grand Prix that will finally not happen, the list has been increased. I think last time we saw that Silverstone is out of that list. And now uh, Japan, Motegi, has been added. And also, your Grand Prix at Phillip Island. Finally, for my biggest disappointment of many, uh, we won't have a race at uh, Phillip Island. And now there are on the list uh, extra European races. There are just four left. Officially, right? There is left Argentina, there is left Texas, and uh, Thailand and Malaysia, okay? That's the list, and I think that uh, the only one who have really a chance to be held will be the two in Asia, Thailand and Malaysia. But next week, that they will be in three or four days, we will have the final calendar, And
0: by final calendar, what's your your gut feeling saying on that? Is it going to be completely European-based or do you reckon the flyaways actually do stand a chance? Because Uh, we're only down to, what, Thailand, Japan, Malaysia?
4: No, if we have something abroad abroad, out of of Europe, it will be basically Thailand and Malaysia all together. Okay, and then in Europe, as far as I know, there will be 13 races, that's not bad. Thirteen races. So if everything runs okay, we will have around fifteen. That is something amazing, considering that the championship will start in uh, July sixteenth or no? Yeah, no, nineteenth. Nineteenth. Yeah. So, okay.
1: So let's and- let's get straight. Let's get straight to it. The big question. We're saying it's just going to be around Europe. So first thing that I want to know straight away. They've they they've canned Silverstone. Is there room to bring Silverstone back into the calendar at some time if the UK eases the restrictions? We're hearing that there's a bit of wiggle room and things are going to may change here and there. Is Silverstone completely dead or is there the chance we may be able to bring it back sometime later in the year?
4: Well, Silverstone did announce that uh, there would be no Moto, MotoGP race, right? But uh, as I told you, we have four or five days. And considering, for my surprise, that Formula One is going to – to produce a double race there, right? mm, two races. Two races so the, the surprise or the question anybody obviously does himself is why Formula 1, yes, and MotoGP, no.
1: Mm, that's right. And obviously, a, a lot of that, as I as I think I said to you before we started recording, uh, being a, a fan of F1 as well, I, can, I know that a lot of the teams are based in the UK for F1, um, and they put a lot of money into the economy there. Uh, within uh, within England and, and the United Kingdom. I know there's been a lot of lobbying. Also, the, the the main media and broadcasting companies are in the UK, and so that's why they think it's achievable to go ahead. And so there's been a lot of lobbying, and they've got exemptions for those teams that are based outside of the UK, people like um, Ferrari, Alfa Toro, Renault, those sort of guys, um, to get, exemptions from the 14-day lockdown when you come into the country.
4: Look, I really don't know what's going on, but I have uh, just thinking about this, I, I could say, for example, there are two things I want to point. One, that the the circus, the MotoGP circus, is much bigger than the Formula One circuits. You just have to have a look at the drivers. Very true. I, I, I don't know how many, I don't follow Formula One, but I can imagine there are 20 drivers more or, or less, like, yep. something like that. Mm-hmm. And in uh, MotoGP, uh, with the uh, three categories, there will be a hundred of them. Okay, mm-hmm. then, then there is another thing. In you know, with the Brexit, the UK has just put a border on in Europe. In the rest of the countries, they, they just drive yep. around.
1: It's but a hard sa- border as well.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and but the same, the same is the same for Formula One. So I don't know. Uh, do you have the dates of the races in Formula One? I
1: think it's the nineteenth and the. 26th of July, ah. off, off the top of my head.
4: Yeah, July is so okay. But imagine yeah. if we go up there in what? In October. Oh, p- no way. Yeah. No way. Yeah.
1: You wouldn't want to go there any later than the end of August. No, exactly. you, just, you just wouldn't. <laughs> not, exactly. not without your Mac and your umbrella and your boots.
0: <laughs> Man, well, we've spoken previously about uh, essentially the away races uh, for MotoGP incurring a cost uh to some of the the local um you know race promoters they're essentially only getting the money back on um crowd attendance would that be the same for silverstone would it be coming at a cost for silverstone or um could this be financially driven uh by um by by silverstone to say no we're just not going to get our money back on this we'll see you next year
4: yeah, because look, if there are no spectators, even organizing the circuit it's a, a high cost. Absolutely, organizing yeah. a race. Yeah. yeah, because you have to all this marshal for all, all the, helico- the sunny, how do you health uh, all the doctors you have to hire. So the cost is very high. So if there is, and I think Silverstone is a private circuit, right? It's private. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it it, is, yeah. the money has to come out from the pocket of somebody. It's not like in uh, Jerez or in Aragon that these circuits are somehow linked to the state. Absolutely. The, okay. And so, these, are, these are just pain, uh, you know, when, the, when you have to organize something with the money that is not yours, it's much easier.
1: I'm still waiting for the announcement of a um, a season-ending Qatar round. On the first
4: week of December. Yeah, Qatar for me is a big question mark, you know, because when Carmelo's speaks about the up road races that are still open, he mentioned he mentions these uh, four that we just uh, spoke about, uh, that is Argentina, Texas, Thailand, and Malaysia, but Ooh. he does not mention uh, Qatar. So Keeping no. Keeping close but, to his
0: no, chest. Uh,
4: we, can, we, 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 we can just they, about rule Texas up-
0: out on that one, though.
4: Texas would be good. Mo- mo-
0: <laughs> yeah we can, we can yeah. just about rule that out though for a variety of reasons one the time will be a hospital. uh yeah and 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 two the organisational structure within um that circuit it probably isn't the best at the moment they're um they're struggling to keep themselves afloat from everything that I can see.
4: Mm. And and you know that Argentina has declared her, uh, herself bankrupt some weeks ago. So uh-huh. it's no sense to make a race there if they are yeah. not paying what they owe. Yeah,
0: exactly right.
1: Mm. <laughs> We've I got some airlines in Australia F1 races. races. Yeah. <laughs> those F1 races are on August the 2nd and 9th. So um, uh. a, a week or so after I thought. But yeah, beginning this- of August. This is high summer
0: in England. Wow, I know. (laughs) People be wearing short sleeves and everything. 43
2: degrees.
0: (laughs) So, man, we've got the calendar getting bolted down um, very, very uh, quickly. What else has uh, erupted over the last seven days that we need to get out there?
4: Well, uh, you know that I think, uh, you know, we have spoken so many things in our podcast, but I think we mentioned that uh, Prama. Second rider for uh, next season would be uh, Martin, Jorge Martin, the Spanish rider who now races for yeah. for Red Bull. And this has been announced. This is not new. Uh, we have said here that Ducati has been following Martin for uh, years, and there is something that helped the deal that uh, Jorge's manager is the same that Jorge Lorenzo had, right? So while Jorge Lorenzo was in Ducati, this deal was done at that time already. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, that's good. He doesn't have to remember a new
4: name.
0: That's what I'm saying. Did this <laughs> happen by accident, or is he just meant to write Lorenzo? He accidentally wrote Martín.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. And you know who, who is the third rider he has, this manager?
0: Remy Gardner. Jorge,
4: Jorge Navarro.
0: Oh, uh-huh. so he is. <laughs> so that
4: is Jorge Lorenzo.
0: Jorge
1: he only manages Jorge. people called George. <laughs> yeah, <with>
4: George.
1: <laughs> 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 which which manages that? Who is that?
4: Uh, well, it's uh, it's uh, his name is Albert Valera. But it's funny. I tell you now uh, an other ad- anecdote. He was Jorge Lorenzo's manager. He had only Jorge Lorenzo, right? Then he. Decided to manage other riders. And he, uh, he had to ask permission to Jorge Lorenzo. All right? <laughs> and Jorge Lorenzo said, yes, as long as you give me a part of what you get from that.
2: No way. Oh.
0: You're trading off my name, so I
1: want to cut. Wow. That's um, <laughs> okay. So- one, there's insecurity from that manager, he's he's not that good. And two, yeah. good on Jorge Lorenzo for doing oh, that. Or
3: maybe it saved him from doing some more fast food advertisements. <laughs> okay, no more sauce. <laughs> 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 I watched that more times than I should have.
1: Indeed. So yeah, so as as we spoke we spoke to Remy a few weeks ago um, here on, on What the Andro. Um so he's obviously missed out on on that seat. For 2021. So what do you think that means for, for Remy's chances of a ride in 20, 2021? No, but he-
4: I, look, uh, s- uh, sorry, Stu, uh, I uh, have spoken with uh, people in MotoGP, and Remy's name is uh, circling around, you know, where or what he's going to do, but his name is, is going around. So that's, for that's MotoGP, it will yep. depend a lot of what he shows uh, in these races, very much, because people have been impressed about some of his performances uh, last year.
3: Mm. And I'm excited, Good. like what he mentioned about his size in comparison to the other riders and how the bigger bike could be better for him. I'm keen to see how that works.
4: Yeah, and we heard his character, you know. His, yeah. uh, and this is very important. <laughs> this is a plus for him.
0: As we've said previously, it's um, he has the killer instinct. He said he has Absolutely. that ability to um, yeah to, to to execute when it's uh, required. There was an amazing article that I I rarely read things two and three times, but I picked this up the other day. It was by Neil Hodgson, who basically was laying out a case that um, Fabio Quattraro has ruined it uh, for everyone else. Oh, uh-huh. that was uh, out there at the moment. You read the same thing, Stu.
1: Yeah, yeah, so everyone's expecting (coughs) new guys to come through and just kick ass immediately.
0: But it was also the fact that um, Fabio didn't have was was it was an outstanding uh, participant in Moto 3, didn't have mm. the uh, the best of time in Moto 2, but was still taken on faith into Moto GP and absolutely yeah. excelled. So where the traditional belief before was show us your results in Moto 3, show us your results in Moto 2, and then we'll give you the opportunity. He, Neil Hodgson was claiming that it's now muddied the waters for those that are saying give me the break on the bigger bike and I will perform. Previously, yeah. he was saying that that wouldn't have got uh, any airplay amongst the teams because they wanted to see consistency. Now that Fabio has proven that that actually is the case, that you can not perform in Moto2 but perform when you actually get on a bigger bike, mm. um, he was saying that that's absolutely shot um, the uh, – the way that the teams look at the junior riders now he said it's widened the field, it's muddied the waters um the clear stream of rider progression that they had has now been yeah literally thrown to the wolves mm. so there's riders out there that wouldn't have been contemplated that are now being but contemplated. so many more doors absolutely yeah, yeah.
4: no i i i I will dare to say that i am not i don't agree with Neil Hodgson okay absolutely not cool. yeah, I think uh. Look, uh, I I wrote pages and pages about Fabio Quartararo before arriving at the at the Grand Prix. But I have yeah. and uh, you know I wrote about him saying that he was the guy who was going to push uh, Marquez out of the throne. And this was before he arrived in the Grand Prix. And I, I even, I told, I tell you something, I, I even sent something to Japan explaining to them to have a look at Fabio Quartararo as a kid. Wow, okay. So there is no secret, you know, there is no magic. Fabio Quartararo has not ca- came out of out of nowhere. The people, it's been, yeah, it's been
1: a long journey. He's been a known quantity for yeah, a while. Yeah. How long has the... he
3: been in Moto GP well,
1: in the paddock in, in lower classes and stuff?
3: No, like in he... the upper class, like in the top
1: two. Look, no, I years?
3: think he... He's oh, two
1: seasons been... in Moto hasn't he? Yeah,
4: no, this is but he was two years, two years, three years, no, two years in Moto 2 and another two or three years in, in Moto 3, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is that the people who understand about this and i'm not saying that neil doesn't they they see from far away the ones who are really good and not and fabio quartararo while he was in the spanish championship he was uh, absolutely dominant absolutely winning every race i think he won 9 races out of 11 and it was he you could see that he was coming you understand? So, so why what, wasn't what the... What
1: class of what, bike was that on? Sorry? What class of bike was that on? Was it on a, on a super Moto bike 3. or a... No, no, no. A, Moto that was Moto3. Okay.
4: Yeah, because he was young. Oh, yeah. He arrived at the championship with 16. No, no, no. Look, the championship changed the age of entering because of Fabio Quartararo. Wow. Whoa. they, the they
2: change?
4: Yeah, they, they did a special rule for him because... Mm. Uh, They decided that the rider who would win the Spanish championship would uh, get uh, automatically into the championship, in the Grand Prix. But at that time, the minimum uh, age, the lower age was 16. So they had to change it.
1: He was 15 at the time, was he?
4: Yeah. So it's not that he appeared from nowhere. We all knew what, what was the surprise that he didn't do well in Moto3 and Moto2. And the reason of that, there are many theories, but look, uh, Fabio had, has changed or did change every year, the team, right? Every year. And then he changed from Honda to KTM, from KTM back to Honda and this and this and that. And at this age, you have to consider that they are teenagers. They are people with the you, you know, structure, very uh, sensible and very unstable. So he changed Every year team, every year new crew chief, every year new mechanics. And being that young, in my opinion, he got a little bit lost, you know. In fact, remember that he has explained that at a certain point he went to see a psychologist, a sport psychologist, because he started to get very upset and out of control when the results were not the ones he thought he could do. And we are talking about a guy with 17.
1: Do you think that might help him just concentrate on the racing later on and give him a bit of an, an edge in his twenties and later on
4: so you you compare let's compare because at the end you have to 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 work with the with the statistic Mark Marquez has built his team from the very beginning and they have moved from the lower class up to the higher class yep. the one who the one who invented this format was who Valentino Rossi.
1: Bella, yeah valeet yeah
4: okay now we have. Fabio, who arrived there like stumbling, you know, like uh, like Vinales did. Vinales mm-hmm. did change. So at the end, you know, the, the ones who are up there, they have shown how to do it. The yeah. others the others have arrived, but to you finish, the story, and, to finish the story. You need that consistency and that stability. Uh, you know, saying that, wow, he came out of nowhere. nowhere. It's not true.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, look, look, to be honest, the, that Neil Hodgson article, the most thing I'm amazed about with that whole thing is he managed to sit down for that long and write that article. I think, <laughs> I think he might have dictated it just quietly.
0: The other thing that has always impressed me about Neil Hodgson is having seen him at quite a few of the Grand Prixs, this is something that once you see, you can't unsee. The man doesn't crease. I've never oh, seen a crease he's in, in in one of his shirts. He he is yep. unflappable. He's like um, a cardboard cutout. It is <laughs> like I'm, I'm a sweaty mess at the end of you know a Saturday qualifying, and you know Sunday I can barely get up. Neil just looks as though he's popped out the back of a shirts. It. Exactly. Right. I think he takes twelve shirts. Yep. Um, <laughs> the man the man does not crease. <laughs> It's actually probably a very good segue into yes, the 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 riders and the the mentality that they take into the teams uh, is is critical. But it's something that uh, I've been bouncing back and forth with Manuel over the last couple of weeks that I wanted to explore was the different uh, cultures that exist within uh, the 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 primary teams that we see in the paddock from a um, a spectator's view and you know passionate. Uh, spectator, even I can pick up the differences that are, that are happening in the box. So the the culture that uh, Repsol exudes is, is different to the one that uh, Lynn Jarvis obviously has control of. If that uh, very very famous win of Petrucci at Magello with David Tardozzi swinging a fire extinguisher around, that is obviously a, a different <laughs> culture. Again, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't um, I, I, I can't imagine uh, Takeo Yokama um, doing the same thing after a Marquez. Video. So, when I raised this with uh, with Manuel, who's going yes, it goes there is very very clear uh, differences between the teams. So this was something that I wanted to potentially
4: put to you guys as a as a thought piece as well. You you talk about teams, uh, David. I would say more about brands. Okay, yeah, because okay. Uh, regarding the six uh, brands that are in the championship, basically the team represents the brand. There is one that doesn't that is different the team than what the the dna from the brand of the brand right that is very important the dna each factory has its dna and we have to separate very clear also the three japanese they have a we know they have a very special culture and the three europeans right so uh, if you don't mind let's start with the europeans because the japanese it's interesting to compare them among themselves because even there between them there are big differences very big, very big and very interesting that most of the people don't understand or don't know. So let's let's start for example with Ducati, right? Ducati is the smallest uh, brand in the championship. very small because to do, for an example, uh, they basically sell not more than 50,000 bikes a year, okay? Ducati, they, Ducati is very important. The first thing is that they are basically an engineering company. The people who run the business are engineers. Okay. Dominicali was a former uh, racing department engineer. Now he's in charge. So they, um, It's important to understand that they are engineers. Ducati is another very important uh, signal or they look at themselves as an elite brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
4: elite. Okay. And uh, a good uh, sign of this, actually, they don't sell bikes lower than 800cc capacity. Because they want to show themselves like we are the Lamborghinis of the of the motorcycle world.
1: That's exactly who they
2: are, yeah.
4: In fact, they are in the same company than Lamborghini, that is the Volkswagen, okay? So uh, Volkswagen Group bought uh, Ducati to have in their group a motorcycle uh, brand. And they gave Ducati the same, um, how do you say, uh, Focus than Lamborghini, okay? Yeah. So, uh this transfer to to the racing it's the same Ducati is basically a factory that promotes the engines because for an engineer, the engine is what shows how good he is. Okay, a chassis. Who is it? What is a chassis? Chassis is just two iron uh, put together or two Mm. aluminum, right? But what makes an engineer better than the rest is my bike, my engine is stronger than yours. Can we
0: just just pause there for a second? Because... I, I do understand exactly what you're saying from a from an engine uh, perspective, but as a as a previous Ducati owner as well, one of the things that Jacati has always prided itself on was a steel trellis frame. Um, so they were yes, they were very engine minded, but organizationally, I always always uh, saw Jacati yes. as, as seeing themselves as as priding themselves on that steel trellis frame. Oh. They said frame design was always number one for them as well.
1: I see that more than anything though David as a point yeah. of vanity that's what I always saw in the trellis frame it's a thing of beauty first Absolutely. and foremost yeah. i and i think that's why it's remained for so long it's a thing of beauty in and of itself and so it's a point of vanity and it's a point of difference as opposed to being a, a, a separate point of engineering excellence
0: and do you think really? this is also if, why they if, held on to the single-sided swing arm for so long? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly yeah, they, they right. they
4: have if to be they were different. genuine <clears throat> Yeah, if
0: they were genuine about engineering excellence,
1: realistically, they would have gotten rid of the steel trellis tra- tra- frame 25 years ago. Look what Bimoda did. It's, it's exactly what, they, what they've done.
4: Yeah, in racing, they had to switch to a standard chassis. Let's call it standard because the – Cube chassis didn't work, but it's a sign of identity. It's a sign of being different, like yeah. the swing arm. You know, if not, they could not sell bikes quite uh, more expensive than the Japanese. They have to be different. If not, you would buy a it, it, Japanese it was, it bike. Was a
0: po- it was a point of difference, yeah.
4: Okay, yeah. this is from the engineering point of view. From the character point of view of Ducati, it's 100% Italian, as you said. It's pure yeah. passion. You know, nobody lives racing with the. Uh, I would. I, I was going to say intensity, but it's not because the other are also intense, but with the ex- latin explosion like they do. <laughs> I was
0: going to say there isn't a there isn't a fire extinguisher. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's no drama. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> it is. It's
1: drama. It's dramatic.
4: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and there is something also very funny. In Ducati, that is also makes Ducati very special. You know, it's the way, if you look in a Ducati garage, you you see how many people are in this garage. The sponsor, the therapist, It's like a market in uh, Firenze, you know? There are so many people
0: there. <laughs> the only thing is the fish on the ice is missing. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
4: and, they, and they walk around up in there. I tell you a fantastic anecdote with uh, Nicky Haydn. Nicky Haydn, he used to, uh, you know that he was in Honda for a long time, and then he switched to Ducati. So the first time he entered in the Ducati box, Andrew, and this is very interesting, he was sitting there, and suddenly he asked his crew chief on his side and looks at him, he said, hey, why is everybody touching my bike? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in
4: this garage okay yeah and and it's, he asked the guy and why is everybody walking around yeah <laughs> so for him being american and coming from a japanese structure he yep. was so shocked because in the ducati garage everybody everybody does more or less what mm-hmm. they want and when there is no racing, you know they walk around. Somebody goes on the bike and touches the seat. The other one touches this. And in in Honda, in Honda, it's incredible because the Honda, they have the mechanics have a certain uh, area in the box to move. They mm-hmm. cannot cross from yeah. side. On. They have their own specific area because what they think they want the rider sitting in the back have a straight view out into the pit lane, Mm. free view, nobody crossing him so the rider can focus. There is where I have to go. Yep.
0: That's pretty good. Bit of feng shui. So, uh, Ducati are bringing a little bit of the the, the motherland into the pit box of um, let's get that family, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of warmth, a little bit of uh, bringing the intensity of uh, that that environment into the pit box.
1: Yeah, yeah but again, it's, it's a little it's bit a, of that Italian vanity as well, isn't it? You have the yeah, sponsors and the good. media there, and it's an opportunity.
4: Yeah, but it's the way, you know, it's Italy. Yeah, you cannot. cultural, exactly. Uh, yeah, you cannot uh, uh, think in Ducati being KTM. No way, no way.
0: <laughs> no. Does this translate no, over it, into Aprilia? Do Aprilia work in a very similar way, uh, or you do, do they you have, have their own? To it,
4: yep. Aprilia is for me the only brand that the box doesn't reflect the brand. Okay, that, and that
1: was the one that I would have said when you said that earlier on. Straight away, my head went to Aprilia. Yes,
4: Definitely. and in Aprilia, you have to have you have to consider two Aprilias, right? The Aprilia in the past that was owned by a person, mm-hmm. by one guy called Ivano Beggio, and the actual Aprilia who is owned by a big group, the Piaggio Group. When it was owned by a certain Person, Apulia was the most racing brand that has ever existed in the history. The racing department at that time was the most modern, accurate, brilliant of all history. Even better than HRC, I would say. In fact, I wow, think they that's, got,
0: a, that's a big call. Oh
4: yeah, and I think they got bankrupt because of spending too much money in racing. Basically, yeah,
0: there's, a, there's uh, that passion uh, uh, coming through again. <laughs>
4: Yeah. So now what happens? Uh, A big group that is the Piaggio group, that is the biggest non-Japanese group, motorcycle group existing in the world. They um, bought or they got Aprilia and now Aprilia Racing, that was something huge and special. Now it's just a part inside Aprilia. It's it's just a department. You understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. saves Aprilia is that there are still people from the old times involved in racing. Uh, and there is, there is passion. look at Maintain the passion at these old times, in Aprilia, there was not they were working. If you would go there, three o'clock in the morning, they were working, four o'clock in the morning, there was no time. They were 24 hours, 24 hours, seven, because they had such a passion in racing.
0: Has the change, do you think, uh, can you see the change in the Aprilia pit box these days? Or have they maintained a a protective shell around that? When when was the last time they won a race?
4: No, no. The thing of Aprilia is that the involvement of the company, because uh, racing is a department that only spends money, as you know. In a company, it doesn't produce money. It's just a cost. Yeah, yeah cost and, and a huge cost and it's a, it's a very can, good looking black hole exactly you can put there all the money you can it's never enough now uh, since last year it seemed it seemed that the boss of Aprilia the big man in Aprilia he wanted to push the MotoGP project okay so he hired an ex-Ferrari uh, team manager but yeah. what has happened this crisis has been like a torpedo in the, of course, yeah, say, yeah, in, in, in the boat yeah. of uh, Aprilia's MotoGP project. So now nobody knows what is going to happen in Aprilia.
0: Okay, but moving on to the last of the of the European. Manufacturers with KTM, how do they see themselves differently? Obviously, nationality with national culture, but how does that translate into a a, a paddock? How does KTM hold themselves? How do they carry themselves? How do they operate? That's differently to everyone else in the paddock. What what is their team culture?
4: Look, I think that we are going to give a short homework to Endra. Endra, can you? (laughs) Are you? Do you have a computer close or an iPhone or your phone? do. I do. Yes, just check the motto of KTM and tell me what it says. Oh, God, this is like a school
3: test.
0: (laughs) Your whole life's a test, Andrew. (laughs) What am I looking up?
3: What am I looking up?
0: KTM's motto. Oh, the
3: motto. Yeah. I thought he said something in Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) was in Spanish? Motto, Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> ready to
4: race? Exactly. Yeah. You got you go. it. I passed. You did 100%. <laughs> so, this describes KTM DNA. Yeah. Very clear. It's it's, it's on its motto, you know. And KTM is ready to race. It's a brand that uh, is born. Comes from, from racing. racing. Yeah. From, from racing. And the, what. Uh, impresses me more of KTM is uh, the age of their engineers. They are all young young guys, all young guys, and they all race enduro or motocross on weekends.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of them have come from off-road. That's that's where KTM's DNA has come from, the the off-road stuff.
4: Yeah, but engineers are very young and they practice what they produce. You know, and many of them arrive Monday with a broken arm or a broken <laughs> race. <Yep>. So, <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: that's and that's like, how yeah, you choose right, your good exactly. engineers.
4: <laughs> and, and, and in another company, th- this would be a disaster, but in KTM, it's like you are doing your job
0: a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
4: Yep. Understand? And the, the, other, the other thing that is absolutely uh, particular of KTM is the personality of their of uh, the owner, mm. you know? The owner is uh, Peter Stefan Pierer is the owner of KTM, and he has an incredible character. You know, he's uh, absolutely German in the sense of, we have to win, we do everything to win. And uh, he doesn't hesitate to spend what is needed if he thinks that it would help them to win. And being the owner, the only owner, he can decide in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah he can, and yeah.
0: The, to use that American this, term, um, term, he can turn on a dime. Yeah, he can, yeah. Instant decisions.
4: He, exactly. And he is, he owes a lot of uh, techie companies. You know, he owes, uh, for example, companies that are, um, that produce pistons for Formula One cars, for camrods for Formula One cars. So he has a lot of, Periphericos, you know, yeah. uh, companies around. Around the so outside, yeah, can, yeah. yeah. And this is basically KTM, a uh, racing company, very racing with a German touch. Look, if you compare Ducati, racing company with engineers and KTM, the difference is the nationality. <laughs> mm-hmm. how, do they, how do they carry themselves
0: uh, at the track in the box, Manuel? Can you – if they were all wearing white uniforms – could you tell uh, a ktm box from how would you tell
4: them in the way that they behave how would do they <laughs> look look this is funny because in the only grand prix that was held this year in in, uh, in qatar right yeah there were some ktm people uh, organizing the moto gp stuff they had in the test and they were told if you shake hands with anybody or hack uh, anybody yeah, yeah get fired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's the answer.
4: Yes. So, and these teams, there are a lot of Italians, Spaniards, but you get you you get close to them. No, 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 no. <laughs> Run through and hug them all and wipe out the whole team. So that's the difference. And probably the yeah. Ducati guys, they would, uh, you know, hug you, put yeah. your arm over your shoulder and whatever. This is the difference. Yep.
0: Okay, yeah. Th- th- there's my answer on that one. I think that's a nice wrap up of the uh, three European manufacturers. Probably time to step over into the the, the Japanese side of the house. Is there any way you wanted to start with uh, that, Manuel? i you know, did you want to do Suzuki first on that or?
4: No, no. Let, let me explain you because I got explained this by a technician who was first in Yamaha and then he was hired by Honda, and he has he was the first non-Japanese. Electronic engineer that entered in HRC. Okay. Before that, he was uh, electronic engineer of Jorge Lorenzo. And his name is an Italian, and his name is Carlo Luzzi. And I asked him this question. He said, look, people don't realize, we Westerns, Mm -hmm. don't realize how different Honda and Yamaha is. He said, look, Honda is basically a city company. They called it. It's a company, a city company, okay? Yeah. And Yamaha, it's basically a farm company. He told me. Oh my gosh. "What? No, no. And then he said, "Look, but it's it's down to where their headquarters are. It starts there." He said, "The headquarters of of uh, Honda is in Saitama. That is um, North Tokyo." Okay, it's a. Yes. City Preventory or uh, Tokyo, yeah. a neighborhood that has one point two million people. Neighborhood Saitama, but it's basically Tokyo area, right? Uh, the Japanese they are uh, the Japanese. Yamaha is in a place called Iwata, okay? That is in the middle of nowhere, and the city has around a hundred and twenty thousand people.
1: Wow. <laughs> And Tokyo 90% has, of them work for Yamaha,
4: yeah. Tokyo has around how many? 30 million? Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah more than Australia. <laughs> it's more than <laughs> Australia. <laughs> it's nearly as
4: many as us. <laughs> okay, so, and this is the first point. And then they said, look, explained to me. Yamaha was a company that was built originally for creating instruments, musical instruments. Yes, yeah.
1: musical instruments. They still yeah. make very, very good instruments, pianos and guitars
0: especially, yeah. I'm, I'm and, recording through some of their gear right now. There you go. And
4: and tell me something. You ask uh, Andra, another test. Yep. It's instruments are made of
2: stuff.
4: <laughs> wood, wood.
3: Wood. Wood? Wood. Yeah.
4: Wood. That's why yeah. Yamaha is in the middle of the bush.
1: Ah, there you go. And that's, why they're out sy- of- that's why their symbol is three tuning
4: forks. Yeah no exactly. Why yeah, but yeah, the company, instruments the companies now are separate right but this is the origin so one are the farmers and the other one are the the cool from the cities this is point number 1
2: yep
4: then uh honda as a company japan has much more prestige you say yeah yeah absolutely yeah, <laughs> a lot of prestige a lot in japan when you mm. Go well, in Japan, you say Honda, people say, oh, only Toyota is basically bigger than Honda in Japan, right? Yeah. So when uh, this makes the Honda representative feel like they are the elite, we are the tough guys, we are the, wow, you know, the elite. And this makes also that when Honda needs engineers for their company, they have only the most intelligent one the most uh smartest one because they are at the top of the list they, they every,
0: have, yeah, they've got the chic appeal yeah, there the, the people yeah, are wanting could, to work for honda yeah so they, they, exactly. they're pulling the, the best of the best
4: yeah. exactly and this makes a big uh different so everything this makes that like, Honda thinks very different than Yamaha. This is the spirit of the company, okay? And when it comes down to racing, it's also super interesting. And I think maybe I'm speaking too much myself.
0: <laughs> no, 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 go for it. So just, <laughs> this is one of those moments where the, where the script has been torn, torn up and oh, yeah. we've thrown it over. It's just like, Manuel, this is, this is what this uh, podcast is about. This is When you get on a roll, so go for it. If we can keep as much momentum on this as possible. <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah, the, the Honda, look, they are, uh, I think the word in English is selfish, right? That you mm-hmm. you trust very much in yourself yeah, and you think yeah. you are the best. Okay, look, Honda and HRC and Yamaha. HRC, we said it's an engineering company, okay? So Honda uses races for three reasons. One, to, uh, to build Young engineers that have shown they are very good, they, have, they are for three or four years sent into the racing where an engineer can show how good he is because racing is inventing, right? Okay. Yep. It's the top of the top. They send them there. Basically, engineers to get built. The second is they want to show their technology in racing they want to show we are the big fishes here look what we can do nobody of you are, is able to do that okay and this makes look the racing in honda the, the racing department is very interesting because this makes a big rotation of the of the technician the engineers every 3 4 years the engineers go out and another other come in you okay. understand yeah, see a high rotation mm-hmm. yeah yeah. yeah, the rotation. Probably not all the same time, but it's constantly. And then there are only two or three needed with experience to keep this running. But the rest mm-hmm. arrive, arrives with fresh ideas. And yeah. this, for example, makes that Honda does things that we don't understand, like they change completely a bike from one year to another. So they win a championship and suddenly the following year the bike doesn't work. And we say, hey, what's happened? It doesn't work because they said, okay, we have won with this. Now we want to invent something new. Yeah. You understand?
0: Yeah, it's not not an evolution. It's a revolution for them.
4: It's an engineering company. It's not a racing company. They just want to show how good they are.
1: Mm. And as you I think we said a couple of weeks ago, a lot of those engineers, they come there for one, two, three seasons, and they rotate through to other areas in Honda. And so they're upskilling their own internal engineers. And so a lot of those guys that have learned – In other departments, they'll come through and they'll learn a lot more in the racing department and they'll move into the wider Honda team to go and bring the rest of the department up as well.
4: Look, and I tell you something more that very few people know. To get president of Honda Motor Company, one of the places, I think there are four, you have to go through is through HRC. You nice. have to show your yep. skill. The other thing to be a, a Honda president is you have to have run a production line, a production mm-hmm. factory. The other one is that you have to have been in the auto, because not all the motorcycle in the out four wheels. Yep. Yeah, in, uh, in the, well. the car yeah.
0: industry. Yeah. Yep.
4: Yeah, and there is another one which I don't remember, but the, one of them is to have. Gone through racing. Yes. Because nice. there, there is where they show who is really tough and not. And not yep. all are tough. Some don't work and they go back to, to, draw, handle the pressure. Yeah. Yeah, to draw something or they are not intelligent enough. The yeah. fourth
1: so, one's probably lawnmower
0: engines already. Yes, yeah, st- stationary engines.
4: Yep. <laughs> so how does that There's translate? like
2: a
0: tough world of lawnmowers, <laughs> yeah. uh, portable generators. Um,
4: <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so and that, then let's go to Yamaha because we have the... I yeah, think that the was my Kira next question. Yeah. Of what is Honda, right? Engineering company, proud company, arrogant company in between... Uh, arrogant, yes. Why not? And then we go to Yamaha. Yamaha is... They like racing. You understand? Yeah. yeah. HRC likes engineering. engineering they yeah. like... They race because they obviously like racing, but they like racing to show how good they are. Yamaha simply like racing.
0: So they had you to know? then become reasonably good at engineering yeah. to be able yeah. to. Yeah. They
4: like to compete. Yamaha yes. likes to compete, so it's a different way of approaching racing. Completely different, and this makes, for example, that uh, the technician, the engineers who are in uh, in uh, Yamaha racing department. That is not called like this there now. It is called engineering division. They are basically there the whole life. Oh wow! Yes. So, so that's, I, know, I know that's by you know. choice,
0: or is that Look, something that the, the company it, manages?
4: It's the way they do things. the The actual super boss of uh, the engineering division. I knew him as a technician in the boxes of a 502-stroke uh, team.
0: <laughs> you know, that, but would be, that would be that, good from a journalist's would, perspective, but uh, yeah, not good for the individual.
4: <laughs> yeah, but this would never happen in Honda. Never. Imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Difficult to negotiate
1: a pay contract, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> so uh, uh, Yamaha, year 35th year this, gonna be. this is the difference, and therefore the policy in Yamaha, as you know, it's always the same. They have a bike and they polish it a little bit yeah, every yeah. year, and they have they are very consistent in their in their bike performance because it's their, their way of doing things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So their philosophy seems more to be about stability and evolution, as opposed to yeah, like you say, the the Honda idea yep. of pure engineering yes, and a revolution.
4: But but still, this way is because how they they. They look at racing, you know?
1: Exactly. Well, going back to the other industries that they work in, you say musical instruments, that sort of thing, you don't, completely redesign a guitar from one year to the next you you slowly evolve it or a piano same sort of thing you you make minor changes if any
0: yeah does does Yamaha have that same level of control in the box that you explained that uh Honda did? I'm trying to just get a feel for if, that, if that's a is that a uniquely Honda thing or is that a uniquely Japanese thing
4: in Honda until the arrival of Marquez it was. We could say that it was a mixture, a cultural mix mixture, yeah, yeah, yeah. Con- controlled by Japanese style. Okay. Okay. Because you could see there are English people, Australians, Italians, people from all over the world working. Working. Now it's basically Spain with some Japanese inside.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. But no, they no, still 100%. They, But do they still? This is essentially gets to the core of the question that I was asking. Maybe predominantly uh, Spanish uh, people walking that uh, box floor, but do they still operate in a very Japanese way, or have they yeah, bringing they, the 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 Latin yeah. um, way of doing things over with them?
4: They 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 work in a Japanese style because the Honda people wouldn't allow this turn into a Ducati garage. Of yeah. course,
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> not so the ones that, that are Ducati setting those bad. rules. That's still uh, the
1: Japanese style. Say, yeah. yeah,
4: but uh, they have the Spaniards have introduced what the smile, yeah. the joking during the practice session. You can be professional, but you don't have to have a closed face. You know, you can you can you do can't things. throw a
1: fire extinguisher. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's what happened so, in
4: the Japanese. Yeah. So, so what about then,
1: Suzuki? Where does Suzuki sit in all this?
4: In the Yamaha box, how they work, people who rule the Yamaha box are Italians. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. With okay. Merigalli, with Meregali, all these uh, Valentino yeah. people, but they have in charge an Englishman who gives a, also a different... Way Dynamic of doing. To it. Yeah, like okay. it, imagine if the top man would be an Italian, so it would be mm. more a casino, right? Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so there's no <laughs> Japanese culture there whatsoever.
4: No, compared with Yam, with Honda, no, no. Oh, okay, okay. Then okay. we go to Suzuki, and Suzuki. I have to tell you, look, Suzuki is the third biggest motorcycle manufacturer in the world. But with all respect, Suzuki basically exists because Honda allows them to exist.
1: Wow, big statement. Mm, Yeah,
4: You know, because uh, it's a small brand compared with the other two. Very small. And if you have Mm. a look, and I have discussed this with people inside Suzuki, in my opinion, and it's my opinion, Suzuki feels comfortable, very comfortable as the third brand. They like I think they feel comfortable in the situation that once in a while they win a championship, but doing the next step to go for it mm-hmm. regularly, it has not happened until the last years. The new Suzuki with David Brivio, I think he has pushed the Suzuki representative in Japan to, okay, we do, we have to go further than we are comfortable doing winning God a to be race serious
1: about this
4: serious they are but trying to look if you decide we go for it you have to invest a lot of more money mm. you have a lot of pressure which if you are comfortable doing fourth fifth you don't have mm. correct so and i think i know that uh, brivio is pushing the company has been pushing to dare to do the next step
0: That was going to be my next question. Is Suzuki ready to win? They haven't stood consistently on the top box since 2000s with Kenny Jr.? Uh, uh,
4: David, before 2000, if you look back, the previous championship was in 1993. Yeah. A long time between drinks.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Honda's obviously got a winning culture um, to some, you know, to some extent, so does Yamaha. They said they have a, a winning culture that's baked into to some of the, or to the majority of that box. They remember what winning feels like. Um, is Suzuki uh, ready to win? Uh, the, do they have that culture that uh, will enable that?
4: Uh, that's, I think, that's what David Bribio is trying to drill into the brain of the Japanese engineer, uh, Suzuki engineers. Yeah, we yeah. have to go for it. We are ready. We are capable. They are showing.
1: Yeah, and, and I think in in this equation as well, it's, like, it's been a fantastic conversation. We also have to remember that all three, the Japanese marks especially, they have deep associations outside of MotoGP racing as well, superbike racing and super sport racing at national levels. And so I think Suzuki, from what I've seen it as well, they have a lot of success. In those other realms, BSB, AMA, superbikes, that kind of thing. And I think that really holds them aloft in those domestic markets. Because as you say, Manuel, these are black holes of money. At the end of the day, none of them make money, no matter what racing series it is, it's just a black hole. The only results that they can show are bikes going out of the
0: showroom on a Monday morning. And that's a great segue for our six part special of why Kawasaki isn't in MotoGP. Oh God, yeah, we could talk about that for weeks.
4: Please, yeah, but, but but, Stu, what what do you say? And today, I am very critical. It's, it's well, bring half, it on! It's, it's hard. This is your
1: podcast, boss. It's, it's half exactly true. right. <laughs>
4: It's an elegant way to say that it's not true. It's half true. (laughs) (laughs) No, because look, uh, AMA, Suzuki dominates and Yamaha has a chance. It's always because Honda doesn't want to enter the game. Right. When Honda enters the game, they are so powerful. They have so much money. They have so much resources that Honda can, you know, they can... uh, Every time they want, the game finishes. Mm. But do they
1: have the resources to throw at the those other um, series as well as MotoGP? Would they have to lose focus on MotoGP a bit?
4: Look, uh, for you having an idea, I don't know the exact numbers. Suzuki may spend for a MotoGP season thirty million a year. Yep. Okay. Honda never less than eighty million. Nevertheless, yeah. Look, uh, HRC racing department I have here written has over one thousand engineers. The whole Ducati factory, it's about one thousand five hundred.
0: Yeah, I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes. Of yeah. I think so, we jokingly said there are six engineers within HRC that just build left foot pegs. Yes, it's, exactly. So,
4: so yeah. therefore, it's when Honda wants. They, they finish the game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's I think that's something are, flies for them.
0: I, I, I think that's are, a,
4: a great exit point on bike, that one. If they are not in Superbike, it's because the sports uh, market is very uh, low, very yeah. short. Yeah. So they have no interest. They want to promote their brand by doing what? By winning the best series. I yeah, tell you, if, if the selling of the big uh, hypersport Would grow and would be a good market, Honda would be there and Honda would win everything.
0: They'd be back in overnight. (laughs) All right, I think we should move on to the next segment where Manuel gets uh, to sit back and uh, relax uh, during this one. So this is his uh, favourite uh, segment of, uh, of of all the uh, all the work that he does for his media obligations. <laughs> his this is the one that he speaks this is of his the most. For telling me yes. I was
2: just
0: wrong, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, you've had a quiet one for um, yeah, the, the, this episode. Do you want to kick this one off with uh, your have, with your, man, I've with just your been Manuel sitting, incident?
3: Sitting and listening and just taking it all in.
0: You, you, um, you're, you're a passenger on this. I was going to remind you. And I said, you're actually uh, helping steer the bus as well. <laughs> so, oh, sorry.
3: Have you seen that movie, Speed? It's to cut the hell up now and again. <laughs> I think it is my, it's because I'm not drinking. I'm very yeah. quiet, aren't I? No, I was just. Yeah, I, I get stuck sometimes when Manuel's talking. I forget that I'm meant to ask him questions because it just
0: he draws he draws you in with what he's talking about. The, the master storyteller.
3: Yeah, he is, though, isn't he? I'm sure everyone agrees with me. All right, Manuel incident. Dun-dun-dun. Thank you, Stu. Um, I don't have anything crazy exciting like losing their virginity in a crypt, but I found someone that I, I was – because his name's been mentioned a few times, so I wanted to um, bring him up. I want You'll probably get it quite quickly. Let's see how we go. Um, he's an outspoken current MotoGP rider, or is he retiring? <laughs> already? I do who this could be. Do you already know? No, like he don't. keep going. Oh, he's never raced in Moto Three or Moto Two. Oh. Do you know, Stu? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, 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 um. in 2011 he was Rookie of the Year for Moto GP. In 2012 he fell in practice in Silverstone and suffered a broken and dislocated left ankle. Passed his fitness test, and although he started at the back of the grid, he finished sixth. I read in the news oh. a couple of days ago
0: that I know who this who was is. That? <laughs> so, sorry, sorry. go on, go on, go on.
3: But, um, in the news a few days ago, I saw that he said that Jack Miller could beat Mark Marquez. Mm-hmm. After winning at Bruno in 2016, he became the first British rider to win a race since Barry Sheen, and he's had three wins in 155 starts of MotoGP. Ladies and gentlemen, who is it?
4: Cal oh, Crutchlow. Yeah. Oh, oh, no crutch. Gosh.
3: And he kicked my husband off his bike in the Moto GP game. So <laughs> <laughs> he's, a,
4: he's a bit feisty.
0: <laughs> I, I was so glad to hear that um, Adam's having problems with Alex Rins in the oh uh, Moto GP. He's the most who's aggressive. Anyone yeah, else right. out there who's having issues with Alex Rins in that game? Let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Own honest, teammate too. Because I honestly think that Alex has paid off the software development mm-hmm. team just to bump up the aggression levels in in, in the code. Um he's a nightmare on track. <laughs>
3: yep, Adam was swearing at him, don't you worry. <laughs> Cal Crutchlow right, Manuel.
0: Manuel. One word to describe Cal. Uh
4: he is a pure character.
0: Oh nice. nicely done. Yeah.
3: Can we change the one word thing
4: to two? Yeah, like
0: it's, yeah, not, we, I think just we just n- we never get one out of Manuel anyway. And, uh,
4: I would I would write it together, so no problem. <laughs> Manuel hyphenate
1: it; it's just one word.
0: you've spent a lot of time with Cal Manuel. You know, a lot of the articles that I've read that you know, Cal's not backward in coming forward. Is there something that stands out for you as, as a, um, a a canonical uh, moment of of Cal commentary?
4: I have a very good relationship with Carl because we have shared Beer. information. Uh, uh, oh. yeah, yeah,
3: uh, that's where help. I was going. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I was trying to help
4: out. Yes, uh, very sensible information that was good for him.
3: Oh, well, good. well done. Ooh, bribery? Oh no. Oh. All right, Can we'll you it, we'll do you agree it with what he said but, uh, about Jack Miller? Uh,
4: look, I spoke with Jack. I told you. I think. 48 hours ago and I saw a super mature Jack I was surprised I know him since he was drinking beer at 11 o'clock in the morning so- that beer at 11 that was his that was his 40,000 euro
0: beer from memory that didn't, was he get, didn't he get fined for that
4: for that 40 or 50 it was in Honda yes yeah. a Honda. he got fined for it yeah yeah. and but uh, I yeah. saw him very mature and very interesting, you know. He said, for example, because I asked him, look how interesting. Obviously, has, having signed a contract in the factory team for 2021, he can go out this season and just you let know, it loose, g- yeah, kick he the ball wherever he wants yeah. to. Yep. And he said, he agreed, yes, it's a good opportunity. I will go out with all. And can he may
3: beat Mark.
4: He has. He's on the list of the maybes. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's
3: cool. Yeah, he's definitely, definitely
4: got killed. So within. we're still
3: back. We're still putting our money on him. Then,
4: yeah. <laughs> right.
3: Nicely done. He <laughs> has <laughs> the
4: uh, look, and I asked him about to choose between two Aussies, Mick Duhan and Casey Stoner. Ooh. And, and I heard, I know that somebody asked him before that question, and he answered. Three list, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> well played. Well played. Uh, take that. Uh,
0: very good. All right, Stu, so okay, I'm actually going to jump in on this one. Do it. I, I actually, so yeah, just because I want to, put Manuel in a good mood. I just want to see how quickly I can wipe uh, the, the good mood off this one. <laughs> So this Do it. Do it. Um, this individual's still in the paddock, but he's in a uh, more of a managerial position. He's Spanish. Uh, he was born in 1978. Uh, he's a retired uh, racer now. Uh, during his career, he started in uh, the superbike uh, side of the house and then moved into GB uh, GP. And he's nicknamed Spider-Man for his. Uh, the, he's he's a large individual, and the way that he holds on holds onto the bike has always been. Uh, uh, sometimes seen as a little awkward. Uh, he started in the Spanish Super Sports Series. He went to the German uh, Superbike Series. He went to the World Supersport Championship where he got fifth.
1: I remember he, the German Superbike. He was awesome there.
0: He was. He said 2000, he rode for the uh, official Ducati squad for uh, World Superbike. He came um, over into uh, another team with Troy Bayliss and was the first ever Spaniard to take a victory in World Superbike. <laughs> He moved into MotoGP in 2004 as part of the uh, Dante and Ducati um, and was uh, Neil Hodgson's teammate who was runner-up that year. Yeah, he's
2: got it. He's got it. (laughs) He's got him.
4: (laughs) This individual is Manuel. Your friend, Ruben Schaus. Yes! Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man! Pronunciation? Ruben Schaus. Schaus. Schaus oh okay. yep. Ruben Schaus.
0: There's the second bumper sticker that would, uh, the uh, podcast is going to be making. <laughs> uh,
3: Ruben Schaus. We so need stickers, oh. by the way.
4: Yeah. Wow, this is the longest we've ever... <laughs> yeah.
0: As if For those who are listening, to, we've had three it, seat changes while he's been thinking going about this.
4: To listen to this podcast or not? I am just thinking. What? Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> you listens
4: to it every morning. You're it's a
3: journalist. You don't. You don't need time to think. Uh,
0: look, look. If Neil Hodgson <laughs> listens to this podcast, I've got no, no doubt at all that Ruben's catching every episode of this.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ruben, Ruben, Ruben. Ah. Okay. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be good or bad. Busting my balls, guys.
0: <laughs> that's how you bust
2: Do you want to go onto your stew
0: and then we can look yeah. back oh, yeah, onto yeah, yeah, Ruben. Yeah. And... Okay.
2: Yeah. You want to think about the...
0: this one, do you? Yeah. yeah. Go okay. ahead. Okay. I love All that right, I've stumped. I've stumped the boss. That's,
3: I think that's oh, twice he's been crazy.
0: speechless.
1: <laughs> well done, Indi. Okay, come on, All Stu. Right. Break
3: you... him.
2: Break yeah, him.
1: Have Have a think about that one. Meanwhile.
2: Okay.
1: Here we go. The Spanish X-Racer won the Spanish Superbike Championship three times in the late 80s. He achieved his best result of a podium place in world superbike category with a third place at his home race in Spain in 1992. Following retirement from racing, he began to represent up-and-coming riders, most famously managing a young world champion-to-be in the early 2000s before very publicly, here we go, Coming off the rails in 2008, his downfall was rumoured to be due to substance abuse problems and culminated in him harassing and making death threats to former clients. After a period of rehab, (laughs) he was seemingly forgiven by his now current world champion ex-client, and together they formed a team to nurture up-and-coming young riders. He also continued to manage many other young riders at that time, and in 2020, he agreed to terms to become team coordinator for the gas racing team in the Spanish Superbike Series. This gentleman's name is? Danny Amatrain. That's him. That's the guy. What, as I, do said, I want
3: to hear you pronounce it. Hang on, yeah, Stu, exactly. Can you Go please say it? it? Yeah,
1: Danny Amatrain.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, I, uh, I got for, both easy. I got Rubens and uh, Danny's. Okay. okay,
1: do Danny first?
4: No, Ruben first. you
1: You're busting my balls now, boss.
4: <laughs> Overvalued. Ooh. Ooh. ouch!
0: Right, that's, the, who? that's that's landed with a punch. That's smarted. Like yeah, that's that, that's, left, that's left a bruise. Jesus, what's the other one going to be? Yes. <laughs> is that because he was
1: seen as the, the saviour for Ducati around about that time after after Foggy was, was gone or, or
4: what? Uh, Stu, uh, is it about one word or <laughs> you want me to dig, <laughs> to dig <in> on it? We've got
1: to dig down on it now.
4: Let's leave it in overvalued, okay? Let's leave it there.
0: Okay. okay. He, he'll know, will he? Look, ladies and gentlemen, know. if you want to hear the uh, extra 40 minutes of that, we'll happily put that behind a paywall for <laughs> you. <years. laughs> He's clearly got a very good manager to negotiate his contracts.
4: Oh. <laughs> wow. And, and regarding Danny, uh, the word is very clear. He's a victim. Oh, really? Okay. Ooh. Right.
0: I haven't yep. heard you use that one before. Yeah, I, I, I
1: sort of I, I dug into his story a little bit, and I, I was sort of getting that vibe as well. So perhaps this is one that we can expand upon for for Andrea and some of the other people out there because he's a he's a background figure. They might not know who he is, and and for those listening, the person I was talking that he represented it, um, and then went back to is Jorge Lorenzo.
4: Yes, look, uh, I I was because we have to speak in past time um uh, mm-hmm. super friend of danny very much uh, we have traveled around the world together for many 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 years many years and it was a time when i was traveling with him and with jorge lorenzo that's why i know jorge pretty well mm-hmm. but then he he fall into the net of the cocaine mm-hmm. and it destroyed himself and he was so brilliant, so brilliant manager, but he it was, and me, <laughs> I have to say that I was probably the last one to understand what was going on, you know, but wow, okay. he, you, you, with him, I realized what cocaine can do in a person. Yep. I, I, simply, I couldn't understand, it's incredible how he changed, how he destroyed himself, how his life just, pff, he threw away his life. Mm. But in levels that you can't imagine, I can, you can imagine, but you never will imagine the truth will always be above of what you think.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, It's crazier than fiction. No, it's That's awful. Right. Yep.
4: And he went, he, he, he went to up. he came out, It didn't work, he entered, he went out, he didn't work, and now I have seen him uh, last year, I think, in the Spanish Championship, where he is running a young kid.
1: Yep, yep, that's the gas racing team. Um, there's, uh, I think his name's N- N- Noe? Nori? I don't know,
4: but it seems that this guy is pretty Neil. good.
1: Nil. Nil Ro-
4: yeah. Roig? Roig? Yeah. See, Nil Roig. Yeah. And uh, I have to tell you something. I had him in front of me, probably one meter, standing mm-hmm. in front, and I didn't recognize who he was.
2: Wow. Really?
4: Yeah. Wow. He, ha- he had to say me, Manuel Soidani.
2: So- yeah.
1: Wow.
4: Yeah. A victim. He's a yeah. victim. Wow. Okay. Did, when you were speaking to
0: him, did you get a sense that he was a, a changed man? Did you think he's um, ended another he stage stab- in his stabilized? life? Stabilized?
2: Yeah.
4: Look! Look what um, what attracted me with Danny. What created our free, uh, relationship was funny because I am a work alcoholic, right? I work mm-hmm. uh, twenty two hours a day, and I used to work in the four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And I was, and I saw that he was connected on Skype always. Mm-hmm. And I and I thought, wow, this is guys like me. He works like hell, and he mm-hmm. did. But with the time, I realized that he was, turbinated. It was not normal, hardworking. Mm, gotcha. But mm-hmm. he did yeah. he did very well his job. He was incredible, you know, the best manager in the paddock by far. But yeah. it was it's, it's it, not it just was not rent, he's,
1: yeah, he's been associated with a lot of other names. I see Emilio Alzamora, Tony Elliott, Hector Barbara, Paul Andalasia, Spargo. Joanne Olivier, Roberto Rolfo, Fonzi uh, Nieto, so many riders that we that we take for granted now.
4: That's a healthy he's, resume. He
1: nurtured all of them. That's right. And yeah. He was
4: so good, so good yep. in in attracting sponsor. He was super professional. but it was not real. It was fake. Mm. Let's, well, um, it's a shame. That's awful. Yeah. Can we
3: cheer it up before we go? Yeah, I was going to say
0: I, I wanted to leave that on a high note, but it was
3: just on that last bit there. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you one fun thing to make go for it, it, it
0: wider? Go on. We took
3: someone's podcast cherry. <gasps> <gasps> mm-hmm.
0: you, Steve in the UK. Do we? Do you have that term in um, Spain, Manuel? No. Uh, no. <laughs> Ex- explain you know, it, pre- Andrew. This is, this the, is you where you the apprentice comes You want me come- to explain yeah. it? <laughs> the, the, the first time, you, the first time you know, that somebody is intimate. You know, like
3: when a man loves a woman? In a very subtle <laughs> <sorry>, way.
2: Sorry.
3: <laughs> Andrew, again? Yeah. When a man loves a woman and yes. the first time that they get extra close, like, kind of like what Stu's doing on the video right now <laughs> that people can't see, thank God. This gentleman, he messaged because he loves, loves, loves MotoGP, and I was just messaging backwards and forwards, and I said to him, you know, have you checked out the podcast, he's like, I've never listened to a podcast in my life. Steve. So he's had a listen and he's loving it.
0: Wow. So that's Steve. Steve. Mm-hmm. Hey, Steve. Steve. Let, him, uh, let him reach out. If he does the Instagrams, let him uh, reach yeah. out on there and we'll give him some extra special love. So we'll we'll throw a whole heap of attention his way. This way we could double-check if he's still listening. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) (laughs) See if he listens all the
2: way through.
3: (laughs) That's
0: right. Look, I'm also going to put a shameless plug out for the latest What the Andrew that we've put out there with um, the absolutely hilarious uh, Jake and Sarah Dixon. Um, I've actually gone back and listened to that That one on my own time. Um, That was my – Favourite interview so far. Was that was amazing. even
3: thinking about and He even – I mean, I know that the listeners obviously can't see what – because we we could see video but recorded audio, but he even took his shirt off and was trying to – because we yeah. mentioned um, Jorge he's, Martin's abs, yep. and he's like, well, we want to see mine. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody brilliant. Andrew had a
0: little fainting spell.
3: I did uh, get a bit flushed. It was oh. a bit –
0: as I said, I said, sort I of want to leave it on uh, that positive. Um, I want to thank the audience. I want to thank you, the
2: co-hosts,
0: uh, Stu, Andrew, and most importantly, uh, Manuel Pacino. Thank you so much uh, for your time uh, and, and input for this one and, and your insight. Look. I get a lot of um, people from you guys, actually, um, poking me for why do people have to live as five-star reviews, and it's actually paid off this week. I told Manuel, the first of our um, impact on the world podcasting charts is starting to come in. We are Ooh. officially the 151st highest listened sports podcast in Spain, ladies and gentlemen, hey! so we're in we're in the top two hundred. How many are there? There really is are people. Is there one hundred and fifty-two of them? <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, 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 Stu, there are 150 and we are out of the chart. Yeah, that's oh, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: available on all the platforms, the Instagrams, um, the Facebooks, the Twitters. Manuel, you're everywhere. How's the new um, platform going for you? Is it uh, up and running yet? It hasn't uh, caused you any yeah, more yeah, heartache? We
4: are, we are uh, pushing hard. We have preparing super uh, special stuff for uh, launching in the Pesino GP with a newsletter with, I have prepared something very, 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 very special that is called a tribute to Nikki Hayden uh, where you can uh, or the Pesino GP visitor will see, um, uh, how do you say, a photo, special photo gallery you will hear, you will be able to listen to a Unique and unknown interview. You can see a video also I did with Nikki Hayden. So something very special. And then I also prepared something um, special with videos about the Jorge Lorenzo's father's training school. Very interesting, very cool.
0: Look, ladies and gentlemen, we've loved putting this together for you. I'm going to sign off uh, here and now. Um, we'll see you all next
4: week. Thank you. bye, bye. Adios, adios from Spain. Oh <laughs>